This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information. We're going to answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it is a pleasure to be with you on this solemn day of September 11th, 2021, the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attack on the United States of America. And I thought that on today's show, it would be appropriate for us to look at what we've learned. We're, seeing, we're hearing a lot of programs where we look back. Um, but I thought we'd be a little different today. Uh, we're going to look forward. We're going to look at what we've learned in order to move forward with respect to our personal safety in this country. Now, when I say personal safety, I don't want people thinking, oh, he's going to tell us to go take a karate class or buy a weapon, okay, a concealed weapon. That's, that's old thinking. We need to think towards the future because you can see that our safety is currently being threatened by other means. So it's not necessarily carrying a gun or being familiar with uh, some combat measure. It's also interesting that we've all been hearing about it, but you know, those of us who were here in 9-11 and had that experience that we will never forget as to where we were, we also remember that tremendous feeling of unity after that event. It was truly a moment in history, and I think we're searching for another moment much like that. And... I believe that we need to find that, and we need to find it quickly. Because right now, in the United States, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, we have now lost over 654,000 lives. That's a lot of American lives lost, and we are far from united. On average, we have over 1,000 people dying in this country a day related to COVID-19. Our stats are getting a little bit better. About 54% of Americans are fully vaccinated. There are still 100 million Americans out there who are eligible and not vaccinated. And when I say 54%, we're talking about people 12 and over. We have a positivity rate in the United States of 9.1%. Now, fortunately, thanks to our leadership here in Connecticut, our numbers are better than that. Our positivity rate in the last week went down a little bit, is 2.88%. And our numbers with respect to people who are vaccinated is, is up to 76.8%. That's 76.8% of people over the age of 12 are fully vaccinated. A recent study I found interesting looked at 
a study. It was a study done of 600,000 COVID-19 cases in 13 states from April to July. It's pretty amazing that you can get those numbers in such a short period of time. But with this pandemic, it's not that hard. So as the Delta variant surged, uh, what we came up with was basically, if you are unvaccinated, you are four and a half times more likely than a fully vaccinated person to get infected. You are 10 times more likely to be hospitalized and 11 more times likely to die. What is that telling us? Well, first of all, it's telling us that you're less likely to get the virus if you're vaccinated. That's pretty clear. But even if you get it, if you get the virus, COVID-19 virus, and you are vaccinated, you're 10 times less likely to have to go to a hospital and you're 11 times less likely to die. It can't be more plain than that to let you know that vaccinations work. So today on our program, we are going to look at some of the reasons people are giving now for not being vaccinated. I almost feel like I could write a book on them, uh, really. Uh, but fortunately, most of the patients who come see me are vaccinated. Those who are not vaccinated, now we have had to go back um, since they usually have an extended visit in my office for a procedure. Uh, we're now requiring people to get tested uh, before they come to the office. So if you're going to have a procedure performed by myself and my staff, um, I have to think of how to protect my staff, the staff who work with me and support me every day. So we are requiring that people go out and get a PCR, polymerase chain reaction test, to show that they are not infected with the virus within 48 hours of coming to the office. If you are vaccinated, you don't need to go get the test. So we're moving in that direction, but we have to think safety. And as I mentioned, today is going to be a day where we talk a little bit about personal safety. My guest today is going to be Dr. Jonathan Gates. He's the chief of trauma surgery at Hartford HealthCare. In fact, He's the chief for their whole system. Um, this is a doctor who walks the walk. He has been, uh, he set up the Trauma One Center at Brigham and Women's. He was there during the Boston Marathon attack and treats patients daily for trauma. So we're going to talk to him about what have we learned since 9-11 from a medical standpoint. And also, what are we going to be able to share with people on how to remain safe in certain situations? Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's things we, we started, have had to start learning since 9-11. Um, for example, personally, now I, I realize uh, when I go to stay in a hotel, I typically ask for a room that's on the eighth floor or lower. Why? And the reason is because there is no fire department ladder that can get above the eighth floor. So if there were a fire, I'd be able to get out sooner. Things I never thought about before. When I go to an event, I'm looking for the egress. 
okay, in case there's some psychotic gunman somewhere in the audience, I need to get out of there. So it's, it's very different now. But we have to be thinking about things because warfare has changed. Cyber warfare now, potentially in the future, biologic warfare. So we have to be aware of our own personal safety. Probably the biggest word is awareness, always being aware of your surroundings. So we're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be talking more about, a little bit more about updating people on what's going on with respect to COVID-19. I'm going to address uh, some of the emails as well as the reasons I've been hearing for not being vaccinated. And then in the second half of our program, we're going to chat with Dr. Jonathan Gates, who is the chief of trauma surgery at Hartford Hospital, where we are blessed to have a level one trauma center locally. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, Saturday morning, 11 till noon on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And uh, we're talking a little bit more about the COVID-19 pandemic and things that have changed in the course of the past week. And we are going to be taking a short break, I'm told, at 11.20 for a 9-11 update from CBS. Uh, I did hear from the ivermectin folks. Uh, Last week, we talked about ivermectin. I alerted people not to be taking any drug that has a picture of a horse or a pig on it. Uh, And I think that's the key message. Uh, The question then comes up is, well, if your doctor writes a prescription for your ivermectin. And some people said, well, don't you know that ivermectin has an antiviral uh, ability? Well, yes, it may have may have an antiviral effect, but not on this virus. So if you want to waste your time and money and get a prescription from your doctor, you have found somebody who will prescribe ivermectin, and you can go get it, have at it. Just don't go to Agway and start drinking things that were made for injection or putting paste on yourself or eating paste, or doing something totally ridiculous. And the ridiculous part of this whole ivermectin thing is people are trying to say, well, it's a treatment. Well, why would you treat something that's avoidable? It's like saying, well, we have a level one trauma center that we have, so it's okay if I run in front of a car. You don't. You take the vaccine so that you don't get the illness. So uh, I hope I've clarified the ivermectin issue uh, once and and hopefully uh, for all. Uh, Patients always ask me, you know, for advice. I guess that's why they come to see a doctor. You go to a doctor for advice. That's why I find it so interesting that patients don't take advice when it comes to the vaccine. And we hear a lot of different reasons for that. But uh, we'll get into that shortly after that uh, 1120 break. Uh, There are now federal guidelines coming out for federal contractors. Here in Connecticut, we have a very defense-based economy with electric boat in eastern Connecticut. 
Electric Boat announced today, their president announced today, that they will comply with whatever the federal guidelines are. Those federal guidelines appear to be that all your workers need to be vaccinated. Uh, I think they're waiting to hear from when and if there will be any exceptions. But there are no exceptions for testing, saying, well, I don't want it, but we're go- we'll test you every week. That's not going to happen. So I think we're done with the carrot, and it's time that people got united here in this battle, unity in the battle against this virus. So that'll be interesting to see. I had a conversation with a local school yesterday and found that they have vaccinated all of their students. Uh, They have 723 students in this school, all their students except seven who all had uh, medical reasons for not getting vaccinated. Uh, We're going to take a short break, and then I will be back after the CBS update on 9-11. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Special report. I'm Stacy Lynn. At the Pentagon today, a ceremony to remember the lives lost 20 years ago. In Shanksville, Pennsylvania, former President George W. Bush spoke. horror at the scale of destruction and awe at the bravery and kindness that rose to meet it. As bells tolled at the three attack sites, vivid memories of that day. This is a New York City firefighter. It, it wasn't the smell of death. It wasn't the smell of co- crushed concrete. It wasn't the smell of rigs that were crushed and that burned. And it was all of that together. It, it's 9-11. The president's heading to Shanksville now and will be at the Pentagon for a wreath laying this afternoon. CBS News Special Report. MD Advantage is more than your medical professional liability insurance provider. We are your advocate, educator, and resource to protect and prepare you for the evolving healthcare environment. Our team of dedicated professionals is committed to providing our policyholders with unparalleled value. We set the standard of excellence through unrivaled customer service, comprehensive risk management strategies, financial stability, and unwavering defense of our policyholders. We've engaged the best attorneys to advocate on your behalf. We offer personalized and flexible coverage options and continuous physician support and education. Visit mdadvantageonline.com, mdadvantageonline.com, or call us at 888-355-5551, 888-355. 5551 for more information. Welcome to the weekend. Todd Feinberg with you on a beautiful kind of late summer, early fall merger of the two seasons. Great weather. A joyous time of year when the weather is like this. A little chilly for me. Okay, but we'll be back together Monday. I look forward to you being part of the program 2 to 6 in the afternoon. We've got the rant line for you. You can call anytime 860-751-4698. And remember, We get together at 2 because it's Todd Talk at 2 on WTIC. Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, Saturday morning, 11 till noon on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. We're back on Healthy Rounds. And uh, so I wanted to go over some of the reasons I get to hear for not getting vaccinated. I guess... 
you know, people come to me for advice, as I mentioned. Uh, they come for medical advice to treat their neurologic illness, and yet they don't seek out the advice of a trusted, non-biased professional regarding the vaccine. And that's somewhat bewildering. I mean, when I reach out to somebody who knows more than me about a topic, whatever it may be, I ask them, what would you do in this circumstance? I mean, that's the best way to find out. What would you do? Uh, instead, uh, in this case, it's an easier question because it's saying not only what would you do, but what did you do? What did your family do? What did the people you care about do? And the answer is, we all got vaccinated. But instead, I hear things like, well, I follow a group on Facebook. You follow a group on Facebook? Is it a clan of some type? I don't understand that. Okay. They don't want they want to be loyal to their group and, and for whatever reason, sacrifice their lives and their health. You know, the, the original reason was it's not approved yet. Well, it was always approved, but now it's got the official approval. In fact, the approval is more than we ever had for polio vaccine. Right. We understood that we were under attack by a virus called polio. So as soon as Dr. Salk and Dr. Sabin came up with that vaccine, it went out. It got studied. It got looked at. But it was never studied to the degree of the COVID-19 vaccine. The next one is, well, I won't be able to bear children if I get the vaccine. Or in, in the case of men, I won't be able to father children if I get the vaccine. Totally wrong. Some joker wrote a letter to a journal in Europe saying that the spike protein on the virus looked like the a spike protein somewhere in the woman's uterus, which was totally wrong. There are many spike proteins, okay? But it was it had nothing to do with the uterus. It has to do with a virus. So that was proven wrong. And there was never even a study to support that. It was some guy writing a letter. So with that, that has been disproven. And time and again, we have seen and spoken to young women who were vaccinated and had perfectly healthy children. Those same women have nursed their children who have been perfectly healthy. Then we hear about, well, I want to know what's in the vaccine. Well, just go to the CDC website. It's all there. It has a lipid coating around the messenger RNA and some sugar in it. Okay, so there's nothing mysterious in there. When they tell me I'm afraid of the nanotechnology, that's when we need psychiatric help. So I don't even don't even want to touch that issue. The mysterious ingredients, you also need to look at your whole life. When I'm hearing about I'm afraid of mysterious ingredients from someone who smokes a pack a day, you have to understand that as a physician, I have to discredit whatever the next words are coming out of their mouth. 
The next one is I'm young and healthy, so therefore I should I can trust my own immune system. Hey folks, young healthy people are dying. They are getting sick and they are going to have to deal with the after effects of this virus. Yes, the after effects of the virus because that's what we're dealing with now. We have patients coming in with severe headaches, generalized weakness, symptoms they did not have before after contracting this virus. So with that, we really have to pay very close attention to that. I mentioned before about uh, the vaccine mandates of schools, and certain schools have done that. Um, but as always, there are exceptions. So if someone cannot be vaccinated because of a legitimate medical reason, and there are very few, uh, it's unfortunate that those students in this school in particular, that's a boarding school, they cannot go out into the community, okay? So they have to remain somewhat isolated to the campus for fear that they will bring the virus onto campus. Connecticut College had a policy of everyone being vaccinated and being safe. Uh, but unfortunately, some students decided they would still have parties off campus, um, ride in cars together, uh, whatever. And now they have 54 positive cases that has necessitated shutting down all sports. So it's really counterproductive until we all come together and pull it together. With that, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Jonathan Gates, who is the Chief of Trauma Surgery at Hartford Hospital. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, Saturday morning, 11 till noon on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. We're back on Healthy Rounds. Uh, I got an email from Tom, and uh, I want to let everyone know, if you have a question and you wish to email me, either when I'm on the air or during the week, or just go to info at alessimd.com. Tom's question was, will all healthcare workers be required to be vaccinated? And the answer is yes. In fact, yesterday was the final date uh, for the institutions I work at to submit your proof of vaccination. And if you are not vaccinated and do not have a valid medical reason um, for not being vaccinated, um, you will be asked to work elsewhere. And I think that that is being implemented uh, for nursing homes and other places as well, um, because we need to always, always put our patients first. Um, so, and, and some people may choose not uh, to get uh, vaccinated and go on to uh, another profession. Um, with that, uh, we have as my guest, and I'm honored to have Dr. Jonathan Gates. Uh, Dr. Gates is currently the chief of trauma surgery at Hartford Health Care. And uh, he's at Hartford Hospital, and system-wide, um, he directs trauma care. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, this is a physician who walks the walk. He has been the head of trauma at Brigham and Women's Hospital for 24 years. He was there during 
that tragic bombing at the uh, at the Boston Marathon, and uh, really knows what he's talking about. He is a qualified expert when we talk about trauma. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me, Dr. Alessi. Uh, Jonathan, first, can we define for our listeners what a level one trauma center is so they know really how fortunate we are to have such a system uh, here close by? Absolutely. So really, there, there are four levels of trauma center in the United States, and the level one trauma center is that highest level of care. It really does imply that we are prepared and capable of taking most anything that comes our way, and that might be one or more patients or certainly multiple casualties and mass casualties. Uh, this is something that we're trained for. We are recertified by the American College of Surgeons every three years to be able to uh, uh, call ourselves a level one trauma center. Um, and does that include training others uh, to go out into the world as trauma surgeons? It does. It, it isn't necessarily one of the requirements of a level one trauma center, but most of them, as you can imagine, are academic medical centers. And uh, we do. We train residents, fellows in, uh, in you know, acute care surgery and surgical critical care and trauma and hand surgery and orthopedic surgery and other things like that. So, yes. And that's part of their training. It's part of the general surgical training is to learn how to take care of trauma patients and trauma victims. From your standpoint, what changed on 9-11? Uh, from a, a medical trauma surgeon's perspective, what changed? Well, I can tell you, you know, I, I, from a personal standpoint, I think most of us remember what we were doing the day that happened. I think that we kind of enjoyed a period of really relative prosperity, if you will, and didn't really think about it or worry about that too much. You know, the last time we'd really been involved in a conflict was Operation Desert Shield and Desert Storm in the 90, 91 period of time. But over that decade, things were relatively quiet. And I think we were shaken up by it. You know, it's really a singular event. It underscored our vulnerability. It's an attack on U.S. soil, the likes of which we, our generation had not seen. And I think it, we realized that the world is a lot smaller than we thought and that we are, you know, as vulnerable as other countries are across the world. Um, so I think that what we did is came together. I think we uh, realized that this is something that we need to be prepared for in the future. And from a certainly a medical standpoint, I think it um, it required us to think about as trauma centers how we care for single patients, multiple patients, or the so-called mass casualties that uh, could happen in an event like 9/11. Did it change the way we reach out to the public? So, uh, you know, we always hear about you know CPR and how to do CPR, which are life life changing and and life saving measures for people who are victims of cardiac arrest. But uh, more and more has our care gone towards implementing what people can do in the case of witness trauma. For example, um, several weeks ago I shared on this program, I was driving uh, down on 91 at that Chicopee corner, and there was a motorcycle accident, um, and I, I was just... I came upon it shortly after it happened, but I was so encouraged by how many people were already there who were trained um, in some way or another to assist the victim. So have we done enough? Have we done more? Or what do we need to do to get kind of 
everybody aware of trauma and what to do if they witness trauma? You know, I, I, um, yes. I mean, the, the short answer is yes. There's a lot that's changed. Um, I can come back to, if you want, a little bit about how we practice even in the hospital, but certainly in the field. And I think the way we, uh, as a community now, look at trauma, it has changed a lot. Not only from 9-11, you know, when you think about how we train in the hospital, we drill. Um, I can tell you after 9-11 in Boston, we had trained 78 times between that event and the Boston Marathon bombing. And uh, so it's changed a lot of what we actually do physically in the hospital in terms of resuscitation. But again, it's changed a lot in what we do in the field. And when you think about it here in Connecticut, there's no one certainly in the U.S. that would forget about the uh, um, the Newtown uh, disaster down there in Sandy Hook. And, uh, you know, Hartford Hospital Glenn Jacobs, who was the chief of trauma at the time, uh, really began the Stop the Bleed campaign, which is a nationwide and an international campaign. And that has turned people, the advantage of that really is it turned that fear of unknown, of, of being powerless to intervene on behalf of a colleague or a friend or somebody who's injured or somebody you don't even know into, into learning how to uh, deal with bleeding control. So it's, it's identifying the bleeding problem, it's putting pressure on it, it's putting the ability and knowledge of how to put a tourniquet on and where to put it on and when to do it. And I think what it does is it takes away that unknown, that fear that yes, we can, we can empower ourselves to learn what to do in the event of a disaster and we can all play a role to help each other. And I think that's what we learned a lot over those that decade or more, really the last 20 years since 9-11 as well. How has it changed what we do in the hospital? So someone, you know, tries to assist stopping the bleeding. Someone gets to the hospital. How has it changed? And I guess I'm asking for your perspective. After you trained 78 times before the Boston Marathon, how did that help you? Well, you know, there's a lot we've learned. So, again, if you think of what uh, the response of the United States and, and really the rest of the world to uh, 9-11, um, before I go on to perhaps the, the lessons learned, I think you really have to realize that there's been a, a huge human cost as well. And, you know, we think about the U.S. service members that have lost their lives in both, both Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, it was on the order of 7,000. But those lessons, you know, are hard-learned lessons but they have been immediately taken from the battlefield and applied to what we do on a daily basis at a place like Hartford Hospital and other uh, level one, level two trauma centers around the country. And one of the early things we learned is part of that damage control. Uh, so what, when you look at putting a tourniquet in the field or putting pressure on a bleeding point, that is the beginning of what we call damage control resuscitation, if you will, stop the bleeding. And then the resuscitation that follows in the ambulance in our pre-hospital care providers is to, uh, you know, limit that blood loss, begin the resuscitation, get them lined up for, uh, for fluid. And then when they hit the emergency room, ideally they're in a better condition to be able to be further resuscitated and then likely go to the OR. So what we learned over the years, I think, from that Iraq and Afghanistan uh, uh, experience is that the massive transfusion protocol was introduced. And essentially that is a one-to-one-to-one -one -one use of red blood cells and fresh frozen plasma and platelets in a balanced fashion so that the resuscitation is designed to create clot at the site of bleeding. In addition, things like tranexamic acid, which is an antifibrinolytic that prevents that clot from being broken down that occurs during the trauma patient resuscitation, 
is used. And then we learn things like the degree of hypocalcemia that occurs during a resuscitation and how to treat that and how to recognize it, I think is, is critically important. It has changed our resuscitation tactics in the emergency department, in the operating room, so much so from my training in the early 80s that uh, I think that we're, uh, that you see the mortality, the morbidity is dropping precipitously. You know, we take that approach uh, with, with our resuscitation, and we spread it across the seven hospitals in Hartford Healthcare, so that when patients arrive at Hartford from another facility, they are better resuscitated, they are in better condition, and have a higher likelihood of surviving the event. So things like that, and, and, and the use of whole blood. You know, we have two units of whole blood in the emergency department at Hartford Hospital that we use readily when it's required, and our, you know, the results we see of that are fantastic. I think that, um, you know, we, we, what we're enjoying now is the, the decrease in mortality and, and ideally the decrease in morbidity of these really, really significant injuries. And I think that uh, we realize now there was a cost to learning that, but I think we are, we are seeing the benefits. We're going to take a short break. They're going to be back with my guest, uh, Dr. Jonathan Gates, who is the chief of trauma surgery at Hartford Hospital and for the entire Hartford Healthcare system. You know, it, it appears that trauma is going to be here to stay uh, in terms of mass trauma. And we're going to talk about things that you, our listeners, can do in order to make yourself safer in any situation. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, Saturday morning, 11 till noon on WTIC News Talk 1080 at WTIC.com. We're back on Healthy Rounds for our final segment with my guest, Dr. Jonathan Gates. Jonathan, uh, trauma seems to be on the rise. We're hearing about more gunshot injuries uh, going upwards. We hear about school shootings, uh, mass uh, events. Uh, So it seems that over the course of the last 20 years, we've learned that these events are now part of life. what should people be doing to try and keep themselves safe? Um, I spoke at the beginning of the show that a lot has to do with awareness, but th- what can people be aware of? So I, I think that it's very important. There are multiple steps that we can take. You know, one is, and I made reference to the Stop the Bleed uh, campaign, which, is, again, is a worldwide campaign uh, that is affiliated with, originated at Hartford Hospital, affiliated with American College Surgeons. If people learn to, to uh, you know, take the course, they learn how to help somebody who's injured. It's being prepared. It's that concept of being prepared, developing valuable skill set, and then being able to help someone in need. I can't underscore enough that that kind of skill set is what brings us together, makes us stronger together, and really is a force multiplier when something occurs. And I think that we've all learned that, you know, the statement, uh, if you see something, say something. It's incredibly important. Situational awareness is very, very critical, no matter what environment you're in nowadays. And really, I'd like to think that above all, do not be afraid, but be smart and be aware. <clears throat> you know, our best defense, the, the goal of terrorism, both uh, overseas and domestic, is to, to make people afraid. We think our best defense is not to give into it, into the concept of terrorism, but be prepared, be aware, be trained, be smart. We really do have to enjoy ourselves. I think we need to put it in perspective. You know, things people can have a plan, you know, prepare for the worst case scenario, have a communication plan, be able to assess that situation. If it doesn't feel right, 
you know, then it's the time to leave maybe and not, and not hang around. And as, you know, many people know in, in uh, <clears throat> public places, you know, know the exit, know the, uh, the, the plan. And that we often say if there's an event going on, a, an untoward event, get off the X and get away from the source of the problem and help your fellow citizens. Remember, again, there's, I can't say it enough, there's power in numbers. Everyone around you is a resource and everyone around you is part of the solution. In trauma and patient care, we really kind of teach uh, through experience to develop what I call pattern recognition. And, you know, when a patient is being resuscitated and expected to respond in a situation uh, a certain way and they don't, then we look for other sources of blood loss or other uh, problems. And the same thing is when you, people are used to being out and about and when something is off, it doesn't seem right. That's the time to pay attention and act accordingly. What would be, and this is a little bit off topic, but have motor vehicles become safer? I mean, have we made progress with that? Because I got to say, that's probably the most common trauma you're going to see in an emergency uh, department. Um, have we made headway in design of motor vehicles? You know, we really, really have. Um, when you think about the, uh, the the way vehicles are designed now and the uh, you know Highway Traffic and Safety Administration has taken a huge leap and there's a lot of research that goes into prevention and there really needs to be and that needs to continue. Because if you look at seat belts and airbags and just the structure of cars uh, in which they have a, you know, a protective environment around the occupants to try to protect them from impact. And you would think with all of those improvements, you know, the seatbelt started in the early 60s. Um, when you think of all those improvements, you'd think we would see fewer and fewer injuries. But it's amazing to us that we still see these vast injuries, these terrible injuries uh, from high-speed crashes, uh, from impaired driving. And, you know, I must, uh, a little off topic, but perhaps uh, uh, if it's okay, I mentioned that, you know, sure. we are, uh, Hartford Healthcare and Hartford Hospital are the recipients of a Department of Transportation grant called Healthcare Heroes Against Impaired Driving. It's because that we, here in Connecticut, uh, per capita have a, an elevated incidence of, um, of impaired driving fatalities when compared to other parts of the country. And so we are combining our efforts with the 12 trauma centers across the state to look at that and figure out what are those gaps and how can we prevent that. And because really, when you think about it, these crashes, these impaired driving crashes and fatalities are preventable. We need to figure out how they are preventable. Sure, we can do all we can about building better cars and uh, and you know lowering speed limits and things like that. But it still people it still breaks through. Those crashes still occur. People are still getting severely injured and uh, are dying from these crashes. So that's where. This Healthcare Heroes grant from the Department of Transportation in the state of Connecticut will help to bring us all together to try to find solutions that we can apply to all our citizens of Connecticut. I had no idea that that was the case here in Connecticut, that we rank so highly in uh, motor vehicle crashes. So uh, that's that's very important. Um, in closing, what's the final message in the last minute or so? What What's the message we need to get across today? to our listeners, Jonathan? You know, and I think prevention is a lot of, uh, when we're talking about injury, um, we, we can take good care of patients when they come into the hospitals, uh, when, you know, across Connecticut. Uh, we have good uh, strategies for resuscitation, good recognition for operative interventions, good physical therapy, emergency department, you name it, uh, right from the start, I think the hospitals are very, very strong. But when you think about it, prevention is, is very, very important. And, and one of the, um, the 
concepts of the Healthcare Heroes Grant is not one more. It's not one more drink. It's not one more uh, drug, whatever it might be, that will result in impaired driving. And the basis of that is I think that it's very, very important that people keep an eye on each other and that they don't, uh, you know, they will prevent, they will intervene, they will prevent that one more drink before somebody gets on the road. I think it's the prevention that we're going to find we can drive down those fatalities and morbidities that occur from car crashes, falls, pedestrian struck, whatever it might be. Jonathan, thank you. Uh, Thank you not only for spending time with us today, uh, but I want to thank you for everything you do and the folks at Hartford Hospital do uh, to keep us safe. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That was my guest, Dr. Jonathan Gates, who has been with us today. He is the chief of trauma surgery at uh, Hartford Hospital. And and I think, you know, we don't realize, those of us in medicine do realize that the, these surgeons practice, practice, practice. You know, probably one of the toughest places to be is be a trauma surgeon. Because it's not like you planned a surgery. It's not elective surgery where you have an idea of what you're getting into. Um, these folks jump in there and have to deal with so many different variables. And they train and practice for all the different variables. Uh, So it's tremendous because it does take that amount of repetition um, for them. With that, um, it has been uh, very great to have him as a guest. As always, I want to thank uh, Anthony Dorenzo, who's been on the board today, Jeff Chandler, who's in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay safe and get vaccinated and stay alive. Thank you for your time. See you next week. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.